Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to anything to be a podcast. Podcast, please welcome to stage the person making this announcement. It's John Hastings, everyone. Yes, 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 yes. Hello, everyone. How are we? Well, beautiful fringe enthusiasm on a Sunday. Just hoping this isn't shit. Thank you so much for coming, everybody. Uh, everyone's well. Everyone's good. There's people stood at the back. You guys, there's seats. If you just come along, if you just, it's going to be the most inconvenient thing for you guys to do. But you'll get seats in the end. So you're gonna have to awkwardly like maneuver, talk to people. What's up, guys? How are you? Hello, young one. How old are How old are you? Thirteen. Feeling very embarrassed, walking with your father right now. <laughs> See, you got that joke. You understand? Yes. He used to have said a human talked to him. I'm thirteen, man. I know a lot about Twitter. I will totally re. I don't know about Twitter. I try and learn about Twitter, but I'm 29. I'm confused. I I liked MySpace. Remember my space. It's the sad thing about the reality of this world. Hey guys, you can keep coming in. I will put all. The, I will violate some fucking fire codes. God damn it! Come on in. Well, the most hesitant woman just looking at the crowd. Are we gonna go in? I don't know. What happens? There's two seats, so you guys are gonna have to do some lap sitting, or you can also sit on the bench, or you can sit on the stage, and it'll be like a weird kids show. <laughs> Not that kind of kids show. Get your fucking heads out of the gutter, you disgusting perverts. For those of you who are tourists, some uh, kids entertainers uh, who were for the BBC in the 70s did some really bad stuff. And because it's the UK, people are already making jokes, but they do it this way. Joke, joke, joke. Ooh. <laughs> I, uh, I've told this story before, but my favorite reaction to the Jimmy Savile scandal uh, was my father's. My father is the most Canadian man you've ever met in that he's wearing sh shorts. If the sun is even possibly coming out, my father is in shorts and a t-shirt. He could be in Alaska, and someone's just turned on a lamp, and he's like, well, it's summertime, let's get to it. And so he's in, we're in London, it's raining. He's in, like, a t-shirt with a collar, because he likes golfing. He likes people to think he can golf. He can't golf, he throws the ball. And, uh, and he stood there, and we're in Oxford Circus, and when the Jimmy Savile story broke, uh, the sun uh, first headline was, it was a picture of Jimmy Savile just with a cigar looking like a creep. And he had his sunglasses on, and it read, Pedo with a question mark. And my father just pointed at the newspaper and went, Yes! That's what they look like! <laughs> it was fantastic. Oh, it's amazing. What an amazing day. I've had, the, I think, the craziest 24 hours in my entire life. I, uh, this is my third year at the Fringe. Uh, this festival has always meant something very strange to me, and that Canadians, we don't grow up knowing about it. We hear about Edinburgh kind of like in the wind, like, there's this place in Scotland where they don't have hills, they just have staircases, and the locals, <laughs> and the locals don't like the people they visit, so they just look at them and then they take their money and laugh in September. And, and you can go there, and if you spend 10,000 pounds, which is the equivalent to 20,000 Canadian dollars, you can be in a room and sweat and talk about your farts next to a castle. <laughs> and something about that like drew me to this place, and I moved to the UK uh, two years ago, July 23rd, 2012, and I came right to the fringe, and when I came here, I was in the City Cafe, which is the weirdest venue, because it's this diner, right? Have you guys been in it? So it's this diner, and then they went, we need a performance space. Now, we know a few things about performance. One, it needs to be so hot, so let's make sure that the performance venue is literally next to the kitchen. And because it's Scotland and building laws are like, who gives a fuck? The ventilation of the kitchen goes into the room and out. So there's literally a pouring of hot air every 20 minutes. 
and to then to spruce up the room, they've covered it in this weird cloth, so it looks like you're performing inside a clown's pocket. And then, so, I did my very first show. I showed up not knowing anything about Ember of Fringe. I didn't understand what they meant. Like, you have to come up with a theme show. And they don't mean, like, go up with, like, I've done an entire hour of stand-up comedy about Argos. What is with that, those books? <laughs> it's an Argos reference. A lot of tourists in the crowd tonight going, who is Argos and why does he have a book? Listen. <laughs> the most bizarre shop you'll ever go into. It is Argos, right? Not Asda. It is Argos, where you walk in, and there's the catalog and the snide, confused woman when you ask her, hey, I want a fan, and then she just points at the book, and you're like, I, I don't want a book, I want a fucking fan. <laughs> because, it's, again, it's customer service on this island. You guys do many things very well. The UK, you guys do uh, drinking spectacularly. You do good times, better than anyone. You do honesty the best of any community. I've never met people who do not suffer fools more than these human beings on this island. Like, you do not like, if someone begins a sentence and you're like, I don't like where this sentence is going, stop talking, just stop. <laughs> you began it with thou, I don't want to listen to it, no. I said, thou MySpace profile, I'm done, I am done. But customer service, you don't have it, and it goes back to your honesty, which is if you're working at Argos, you're not having a good time. No four-year-old is going, when I grow up, I'm gonna get one of those red aprons, and I'm gonna point at catalogs eight hours a day for five pounds an hour, and then I'm gonna go home, put on the championship belt I purchased that reads Argos Champion of the World, and just pose naked in the mirror. And so, you, so what you guys do is you just stone face, like, you have a question. Starbucks is my favorite place to go for this. You go in, and you ask for coffee, and they look at you like it was your job to bring the coffee. <laughs> Like, my mom's visiting, and I went to get a tea and a coffee, and she, uh, she ordered a latte, and they went, latte? And she went, yeah, a latte. She's Canadian, so she's just like, oh, they're asking me questions. Someone's talking, this is nice. And she went, a latte, and they went, yeah, yeah, yeah. Name. And she went, uh, Joanne. They went, Jean. And she went, Joanne. They went, Jean. And she went, Joanne. And they went, close enough, it's Jean. And then just made the latte. And she's just standing there bewildered. I'm like, it's, uh, it's Scotland. And then we just... We got the latte. It was a cappuccino. I used to be a barista. Cappuccinos are all foam, and latte is some foam and a lot of milk. I filled out a complaint card that was then put in the bin. I, uh, uh, but yeah, this 24 hours has been insane. When I first arrived here, I, uh, I accidentally... What's going on, guys? I don't know. Cool, cool. I just always... Because you were talking to your son, I was like, was I using naughty words? Oh, your neck? Because you have the camera on? Cool. Taking a lot of pictures? No, that's cool. You're taking a lot of photos? I don't understand. You don't understand? No. English Italian. or just my accent? Italian. You're Italian? Oh, yes. Benvenuto. Benvenuto. What? Benvenuto. <laughs> trying to say, what's I'm sorry in, in Italian? What? It's not Bafondo. I know that one. I saw friends too, lady. <laughs> For those of you listening at home, I just did Ross's version of The Finger from five, season five. Remember that episode? It was pretty good. Now. What? Sorry, it's a scusa. A scusa. A scusa. I love it. Sorry? Stop it. I think we're flirting. I love Italian the most because it's just, it all sounds like music. Like, English is such a shitty language because it all just sounds like you're good. Yeah, thank you, Italian people. Going, we know. We fucking know. We've had Italian the whole time. You could have learned it. We owned the world for a bit. A little thing called the Roman Empire. Remember it? It was the best. Without us, you wouldn't have sewers or robes or books 
or the movie The Gladiator. <laughs> Which, by the way, has anyone watched The Gladiator movie recently? It just will not fucking end. <laughs> there's like a whole hour, you're like, this is awesome, and then you're like, there's a whole other hour, what's gonna happen? Oh, he's gonna fight in oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> and also, Russell Crowe, no Italian accent, Australian accent, through and through. He almost, you can almost say, hear him almost say, good day, mate, to one of the gladiators. <laughs> I do enjoy, I like Russell Crowe, because Russell Crowe's one of those celebrities who acts like a celebrity. Like, do you guys remember when he threw a phone at a guy? That was just awesome. Because I knew what his thinking was. He's talking to someone, someone interrupts him, and he goes, well, I'm Russell Crowe. I am a gladiator. I left my sword at home. Well, I will use the dagger of communication. And then he just hucked a phone at a human being. And he has a band. Again, my favorite thing. So when celebrities reach that point, they go, I know what new Everest I will climb. I will become a musician. Keanu Reeves did it with the great band Dogstar. If I could describe their music, it would be like this. Boo. <laughs> and then Russell Crowe's band is called, anyone remember? 50 Yards of Grunts. Which sounds like how a doctor describes a gang rape. Like, it's just... You only speak Italian, right, sir? Excuse. Now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you're thinking. This is pretty impressive. He's doing a show both in English and Italian. Yeah. Bienvenuto. <laughs> um, and so you're visiting, visiting, visiting from Italy? You're visiting from Italy. Yes, where in Italy do you live? Look, they're very excited about it. In Liguria. Ah, Liguria. Beautiful. You have the hills and the stuff. <laughs> I'm just literally in my head, I'm just going, don't ask about the mafia, do not ask about the mafia. I'm not going to, I'm not going, I saw your face and ring. Wait, no, we got asked at customs. We just walked around. Have you guys seen The Sopranos? It's pretty awesome. Are you like, you know... I forgot the fucking soprano Italian guy's name. Anyway. <laughs> What's very exciting? And what have you seen? I know this fucking chair is about to fucking go. Don't worry, guys. It's fine. If it breaks down, what a podcast that will be. Stand up. Italian. A man getting impaled by a stool. All right, so I came to the fridge two years ago. I, I did this show when I was here two years ago called Spank, which is over there in the underbelly. For those of you who haven't gone, it's this crazy late night show. People get naked and promote their shows. Everyone's drunk. All the venue staff go. And it's just, it's a fun, crazy bear pit. It's really, really fun. And I did it. And they're like, hey, one day you're going to be able to perform at our Spanktacular, which sounds really bad. But it's really fun. It's in the big purple cow, and it's this crazy big giant show for like 300 drunken Scottish people. And Scottish people, you're the funnest comedy audience, because if you like it, you give it with all your power. It's like performing for black people, which sounds very racist, but let me explain. Black people are the best comedy audience in the world, because they give it with their whole body. I performed, and they're called urban shows, and they, you guys, most of you, are white people. And when you guys laugh, it's this. <laughs> For a predominantly black stand-up crowd, it's fucking, if you're doing well, I did really well at an urban show once in Toronto, and a guy got up from his chair and started running around the comedy club going, this white motherfucker is fucking hilarious! <laughs> I, uh, I lived for a month in uh, Oakland, California, which is the, uh, have you been, are you from there? I'm from California. Which part? 
recording. Ah, which part? The, the, the fun part or the douchey part? Uh, what, what are the differences? You know, which the, you know what the differences are. Yeah. He's from Italy. He's from a part of Italy I think they made up, and he knows what I'm talking about. Don't puss it on that laugh. None of you have heard of that city. I was staring there when I went to like, the mountains and the things. You're like, I bet you that's what it looks like. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're in Northern San Francisco Bay Area. San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah. That's the nice part. If it's Bay Area. If it's San Francisco, a little bit. For those of you never been to San Francisco, it was really cool in the 60s, and they are really into reminding you about that. <laughs> like, they are really, really excited to be like, you want to know what happened here? The Grateful Dead played here. And then you say, well, the Grateful Dead was kind of shit, actually. I get it. Casey Jones fell asleep at the wheel, blah, 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 stopped playing one guitar solo for 20 minutes. What the fuck are you doing? And then, like, I'm a, I'm a music nerd, so I went, and San Francisco was the home of the last Sex Pistols show, so I went to where the Winterland was, where they played their last show. This is what I do when I'm in new cities. I go to, like, a music icon place. I don't even take a photo. I just touch it, which creeps people out, because I'm just like, get it. <laughs> not even, that's not even a joke. I went to the Brixton Arts College, where the Sex Pistols played their first gig, and I got into the classroom, and they were just teaching a class, and I just opened the door, and the teacher looked at me, and I went, Sex Pistols, man. And he went, what? And I went, okay. And then I left. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, San Francisco. So I was in the Bay Area. I was in Oakland, which is in San Francisco. And uh, not in San Francisco. It's next to San Francisco. Now, there have been a lot of cities that have had the number one murder rate in the United States, but only one city has been number two for 17 years. Oakland, California, ladies and gentlemen. And I am Johnny from the city, and by city I mean Canada, where the biggest crime was one time a man encouraged his son too much. <laughs> so I arrive in Oakland, California, and I was not prepared. Because I am also, I'm like your, I am, I am the drawing of the Guardian reader. Like I will read it and be like, What's that? There's a restaurant that's serving just mushrooms, and they're 11 pounds. Ooh, someone get me my beret time for brunch. <laughs> so I go to Oakland, California. I'm staying with my friend Marnie, and we are staying on the Oakland-Berkeley border. Have you been there? To show you, because America does, like, they send you a message. And the Oakland-Berkeley border is literally this beautiful cobblestone road leading to this beautiful Berkeley College and there's like coffee shops, and like a woman with dreadlocks going, is that fur? Well, it better not be. <laughs> and then on the Oakland side, it's just this black tar, and there's a divot out of it, and a graffiti that says, welcome to hell, and then there was a homeless man just smoking and peeing. <laughs> and I was on that side, and I actually like it. I like scummy neighborhoods because I'm six foot four, and I look like this. You're not gonna mug this guy, because I will call the police, and I will give an interview. I was, I was very nervous. I was just walking my dog. And I was assaulted. I don't know why they assaulted me. And so I'm staying in Oakland, California, and at the end of the block was this place called... Uh, uh, Dorsey's Locker, and I'm saying with my friend Marnie, and my friend Marnie is like, she is like not a lesbian, she is the lesbian. <laughs> she, uh, she has a master's in woman studies, and then went on to get a certification 
in carpentry. She is literally the stereotype. Her girlfriend is the editor-in-chief of a lesbian blog called Autostraddle. I'm not even making that up. They don't live together, as in the lesbian stereotype. They have two apartments that are right across the hall from each other because they didn't want to rush into anything. They rented those apartments one month into their relationship. There's a stereotype lesbians always move in together. I will explain the jokes as we go along. Anyway, so I'm, I'm crashing there doing this comedy tour, going up and down the Bay Area, which is really fun, and then you go into like the vineyard weird Google part, and you're like, you're not, you know what I'm talking about? For those of you who don't understand, there are 19-year-olds in Northern California that have like a billion dollars. You shouldn't give a 19-year-old a hundred dollars, because they're just gonna masturbate onto whatever they buy. A billion dollars, it's just capri pants and the phrase, bro, you totally need to get into quinoa. Like it's just... <laughs> Needless. So I, I'm in Oakland. I, I don't. I'm not really liking San Francisco. And I, they, I found out there's this comedy show at Dorsey's Locker, and I go in, and it is like it is like a it is a gangster club, if you know what I'm talking about. A lot of very intense gentlemen of color out of the bar, and I walk in looking like the drawing of the leader of the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> and I go, uh, is there a comedy show here? And they go, why? That was a good way to begin a conversation. What do you want to know about it? And well, why? I'm a comedian from Canada. I'd like to do some time. And they looked at me like I literally walked in and were like, I was looking for a place to put my dick into everyone's drink. <laughs> Is this the place to do that? Because I'd like to do that here. And to describe the room, so this room is set up for comedy. You can all see me, we're laughing, we're having a good time. This room was a square bar with the bartender in the middle and people sat around the square bar and then the stage was on the other side. So everyone has their back turned to you and you just have to entertain them this way. And it was hosted by a man, he looked like a pimp from the 70s. A purple trench coat, a cane, he leaned over, didn't take the mic out of the stand and just talked about like, let me tell you about my woman, she don't like me smoking a weed in the morning. And I was like, I don't have any of these jokes. And um, so I walk on stage, real nervous, kid nervousness. And I, uh, I walk on stage and I'm really unsure how it's all gonna go. And so I, I step on stage and I just start talking. And then this guy goes, hey, cracker, get the fuck off stage. Uh-oh, trouble's afoot. <laughs> and then this like old black dude I think appeared out of the mist like put his hand on his shoulder and went Reggie let the man speak <laughs> and I kept going and it went fucking amazing to the point that w the same guy who told me to stop talking was stood on the bar going Cracker can laugh Cracker can laugh and then they bought me a bunch of Hennessy shots and were like, you need to drink Colt 45. And I was like, what? Why? And they were like, listen, pe white people think we drink it. We want to get a photo of you drinking it. <laughs> because they, 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 I did. And it was a great photo. And then I left and it was really, really fun. And yeah, always, it, the Scottish audience is the same thing. And that you guys, what it is, is you like honesty and you appreciate talent. If something's good at someone, you're like, I'm going to give him respect. So yesterday, I got booked on a whim to do the Spanktacular in the cow. And they literally, it's, it's one of those shows at the Fringe where the locals show up. People come in from Glasgow, they've sharpened knives off the skulls of kittens, and they're ready. They're ready to make comedians cry. Like, they're like, 
What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to call him a cunt. Oh, that's a good one. I'm going to go with calling his mother a cunt. Ooh. Good one. Good one. So I have to follow two magicians. Now, I don't know if you've ever followed magic, but it's really hard because everyone gives magic respect because we're just like, How, where did that girl go? <laughs> I love magic. I fucking love magic. I have no idea how they do it. I, 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 one of them was like, we can tell you how we do the tricks. And I was like, I, don't, I just would like to believe that you guys are magic. <laughs> and so I go on stage and they warn me. And this is always a bad sign when they're like, there's a guy dead stage right. You will not miss him. He's big, he's drunk, and he wants to talk. <laughs> and I went, what do you mean he wants to talk? And he went, and, well, when we were on stage, he yelled, I would like to talk to you guys. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, this will be a treat. So I get on stage, things are going pretty well. He chimes up. I then try and engage with him. And how you do that is you always want to get information from a heckler. That's how you deal with hecklers, is to try and get as much rope from them so you can then hang them with it. So like, let's say you were being a jerk. Happens. Yeah. I understand you're not being a jerk right now, but you have a shirt that says wake and bacon. <laughs> so I would probably say maybe if you didn't smoke so much weed, your hair wouldn't look like that. <laughs> See what I mean? But I, I, was, I was just doing this example. I really like your haircut. And where did you buy that t-shirt? From, From your neighbor? Yeah. What does he do? <laughs> He's a designer of marijuana strains. <laughs> anyway, so this guy chirps up and I go, what's your name, man? He goes, you don't want to know my name. I went, yes, no, I do. That's why I asked the question. And the whole crowd just goes silent. And it's that Scottish moment where they were like, we are now going to decide who the dick is in this situation. <laughs> and I'm going along, and I start sort of like trying to razz him, but he's not giving me anything, not giving me anything. And about three minutes of this happens, and then right behind him was this, like this guy was fucking massive. Like he was two of me, he was big, he was in a suit, it was tucked in, he had two beers, and he's caning him. And the guy behind him was this, he looked like a stick man with a beard. And he just stands up and he goes, Tell the comic your name, Paul. <laughs> and he's just like, No! And he goes, Do it. <laughs> and he goes, What are you going to do about it? And he goes, I may die, but I will kill you first. <laughs> and that's Scotland right there, which is that guy was fucking up their evening. They were like, Well, there's only one thing to do. We will murder him as a group. <laughs> And then there will be ha-ha's. <laughs> yeah, came off stage. It was really, really fun. Another exciting moment was a very drunk man walked on stage and asked me where the bathroom was. <laughs> he got his, though, because I grabbed onto his hand and I made him stand on stage for a good five minutes. <laughs> now, I don't know if you've ever seen Fear, but a man stood in front of 300 Scots who, if they see a man piss themselves, will write poems about that until they die. <laughs> It was amazing. And finally, there was a certain point where he went from being angry at me to just, he just looked at me and went, you have to let go of me, honey. And I, because I'm a bit of a cheeky son of a gun, and I just went, why? And he went, oh, mate, I know I'm going to pee, but it might be a poo, too. I let him go, and he didn't even run. He just vanished. And he came back like five minutes later, just a different man. And I was like, was it a poo? And he went, no, big pee. <laughs> sat down, it was great. And then I went and sat in the green room. I met uh, Chris Ramsey from Hepburn. Hepburn? Hepburn, is that what it is? I don't know 
who famous people are in this country, so I just treat them all the same, which has led to a weird incident where I met uh, Alexi Sale. Do you guys know who Alexi Sale is? All right, for those who don't know, he invented alternative comedy in this country. He was also the sultan in Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Which is one of, yeah, he is. He's one of the sultan. He's the sultan. Yeah, yeah. No, he's in uh, Last Crusade. Pardon me. He's in Last Crusade, which I love. And so when I met him in a green room, everyone else is like, oh, man, I love your work. And, then, and they're talking about comedy. And I walk up and went, fuck, man, you were fucking wicked in Indiana Jones. <laughs> and then I sat down and went, what is Steven Spielberg like? And he was like, what? Really? And I was like, yes, I would like to know. And he goes, he was a nice man. He bought me breakfast and said, would you do this part? And then he paid me scale. And I realized, I think he got ripped off in that. And I went, you probably did, bro. Have a good one. <laughs> no, it's weird. I'm not good around celebrities. I'm very bad around celebrities because I just try and treat them like my friends, which is not good because they're not my friends. They're rich people. I met The Rock once in a hard rock cafe, and how I attempted to endear myself to him was I pointed at the sign and went, it's named after you if you were hard. And then I thought about what I just said. That was very, very embarrassing. And I got Steve Blackman's uh, autograph, which no one knows. He was a professional wrestler for about 20 minutes in the 90s. Anyway, so that brings me to today. I woke up and I got an email to go do this podcast. Now, I'm a wrestling fan. I'm not going to bore you guys with wrestling information. I've tried on this podcast before, and the audience does this. Shut the fuck up about it. It's a fake sport, and we don't care. Talk about something important. We will. The show hasn't even started yet. Now, you laugh, but it hasn't. And so I got booked to do this wrestling podcast over there at Studio 24, and I have never felt myself so comfortable in a room of people that just get it. Do you know what I mean? Like, what's your thing? Every man, every woman, every human being has their thing. Like, that little secret thing when you've had a bad day where you just Google it. And I'm not talking, like, porn. Like, it's like, you might be into, like, parrots or something like that. Or loud dance music for a show that a lot of people go into, but a lot of people walk out. And... <laughs> I just say that, because he always plays loud music. We've had a few conversations, like, hey man, can you just tweak it a little bit? Because the speakers are facing towards the audience, it doesn't need to be that loud. And I get this, yeah, yeah, totally, and then every fucking day. <laughs> so what's your, like, your thing that you're into? Yeah, James Brown or whiskey. James Brown or whiskey. If you yeah. put those things together, you have a very fun but very exhausting evening. <laughs> what do you love about James Brown? I also love James Brown. For those who don't know who James Brown is, go fuck yourself. You should know who James Brown is. Like, <laughs> fucking amazing. He's the he's just a wacko. He's a wacko. Musicians are no longer nuts. Like Lady Gaga's like showing up in me. That's nothing compared to James. Well, James Brown was running around doing angel dust, which I think he might have invented. <laughs> just try, like if you fucked up a note in his band, he charged you 50 bucks. Charged you 50 bucks. And if you were late, $100. And he took in he endeared one of the trumpet players he really liked. And so James Brown traveled on a plane because James Brown wasn't into saving money, he was into spending it. So he was making like $500 a week in the 70s and he was like, private plane time, obviously. And they were like, you can't afford that. And he went, I got a cape. So, <laughs> so he has a private plane and he brings the trumpet player on the private plane one time and they get snowed in like two hours away from the gig and they're going to be late. And so they like get a bunch of cabs to get to the gig. And the trumpet player was 15 minutes late to the gig, and as he walked in, James turned and went, that's a hundred bucks, man. Yeah, he was a fucking badass. Like, you do not fuck with James Brown. 
Yeah, he was a bit of a dick, but fuck, you know what? He kept that fucking band in line. We would not have funk music without him. We wouldn't have the greatest part of Rocky IV, where for no reason he plays his entire version of uh, Living in the USA, and then uh, Carl Ruthers just dies, and it's really weird, and James Brown has a mustache, and you see him in the background doing the best, worst acting ever, which they're all really like, James, looks sad, and he doesn't even have a frowny face on, he's just looking right dead in the camera, smiling, being like... <laughs> like he, I feel like he had the album in his hand and he like held it up. <laughs> What's your favorite fact about James Brown? That's Thomas got a brand new bag. It's your favorite song. Yeah, but it's also a fact. So it was the oh right. Get let me put the mic in your face. Uh, this is weird. It's just for the recording of it all. But hit me. Uh, so the first funk song, the first. Breakbeat song, first hip hop song, arguably. So it's a three in one with one track from the late sixties. Holy fuck, right, guys? <laughs> and also, what what other what movement is James Brown arguably responsible for? Uh, mm, Civil rights movement, because he made a song called "I'm yeah. Black and I'm Proud," and no one had ever done a song like that before, and they said it won't sell on the Billboard charts. And his reaction was. Black people will buy a song called I'm Black and I'm Proud, and white people listen to black people, white people will buy it too. <laughs> and then it sold like a gazillion like records, and then he just left the record company and got sued. And he was just like, nah, nah, you held the black man down. And in court, they asked, why did you leave? I think it was Columbia, and he stood up and went, because I'm black and I'm proud, and then started dancing. <laughs> I fucking love him so much. His book is insane. It's insane, because he obviously, they wanted a ghostwriter, because James Brown was just this side of like, let me tell you what I invented. Music, capes, shirts, mustaches, black people who are having hair, black people being bald, yelling at women, hitting women, cheating on women, wives, having many wives, having a guy who just works for you. That guy's name was Leonard, and Leonard sued James Brown's estate for $10 million, because James Brown one time drunk in the 80s said, when I die, I'll give you $10 million, and Leonard, being a smart boy, had him sign a hotel napkin to that effect. And then when he died, he just showed up and was like, ah, ah, Money, please. I love, I love, uh, Ray Charles, I also fucking love, because Ray Charles was also just a son of a bitch. Because he also, he was very into music, was all orchestral and crazy. Sorry, I'm sorry I'm not doing the show in Italian. Excuse me. How do you say Ray Charles in Italian? It's my favorite part because this is it. He is in the fucking Blues Brothers film, and he's in the best part of the Blues Brothers film because they're in this music shop called Ray's Music, and a kid goes to steal a guitar, and then Ray Charles takes out a gun and shoots at the kid and goes, Youth of Today. And he, by the way, demanded that be in the movie. They were just like, Ray, you're blind, you can just sing a song. And he was like, no, 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 no. I want to do something funny. And they were like, really? You are just coming out of heroin withdrawals. Maybe this isn't a bad idea. And Ray Charles, because he's Ray Charles, he's like, uh, who wrote uh, Hit the Road Jack? Any of you? No, yeah. You all fuck yourselves, yeah. Any of you? Any of you write, uh, what's another Ray Charles song? I'm thinking body movement, but that's... Uh, I got a woman. Did any of you write I got a woman? No, you didn't. Did any of you later be played by Jamie Foxx who did a shockingly good job and also won an Oscar for just doing an impression of a blind black guy? <laughs> or blind black guy, not blind black guy? Yeah, come to my show next year at the Ember Fringe, John mispronounces words. It'll actually be called Pond, make my mind a minute. 
Yeah, he demanded that. And then when they were like, well, what do you want to do? And he goes, I find guns very funny. Can I have a gun? And they were like, uh, what? And he was like, yeah, I want a gun. I want to shoot someone. And they were like, well, you can't shoot someone. And he was like, I want to shoot at someone then. And then they were like, all right, a kid will try and steal a guitar and you shoot at him. And he was like, good, 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 good. And there was a guy in the background of that whole film, and that was Ray Charles' guy, because Ray Charles was blind. So he had a guy with him all the time who was essentially his eyes. So if someone was fucking with him, he would come over to Ray and be like, they're making faces at you, right? <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll take care of this. Point me in their direction. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I love Ray Charles. I like, again, musicians aren't badass in that way, you know what I mean? Like, now they're like, Justin Bieber's egging a house? Like, that's not... Insane. Like, ooh, you're 19 and being a shithead? I was 19 and a shithead. I just have a Lamborghini and a career that's about to end, and I cannot wait. Because you do not understand. I'm a Canadian, Justin Bieber is a Canadian, and Canadians, we don't let our forget celebrities forget that they were celebrities. He will be at the Ottawa Central Exhibition Fair in 2020, a gut singing Baby Baby while smoking a cigarette, and I will be there clapping along. <laughs> Because I don't know, do you guys remember, did you guys get, who here, have any of you ever heard of the band, um, fuck, what are they called, April Wine, Helix, okay, so in the 80s, there was this stuff called rock and roll, it was really good, <laughs> you guys would have loved it, and like guitars and coolness, and then Canada had one band called April Wine, and they were these four fat guys, and their only song was called Ooh What a Night, and it had a fire bell in it, and April Wine literally was booked to play the Ottawa Tulip Festival, here's what happened, uh, the royalty of the uh, Netherlands were given shelter in Ottawa, and one of the princesses was born in Canada, and so Canada gave the Netherlands a hospital room in the Ottawa Civic Hospital and annexed to the Netherlands, so she could be technically born in the Netherlands. And you can go into the hospital room, and there's a little flag that says, you're now entering the Netherlands. And then you go, really? And they go, yeah, you, you have to pay for health care. Go fuck yourself. And, then, <laughs> and so Ottawa now gets tulips every year, because Canada, not a fun place, but a thing with things. So, they have a festival called the Ottawa Tulip. My mom is here, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, so just, uh, yeah, she's right there. She said, don't sing me on the show. I lied that I wouldn't do it again. Now, and so, but the problem is it's the Ottawa Tulip Festival. No one's going to that, except for Ottawa's own April Wine. And when I was 19, we went and saw them, and they came out and they went, we know what song you want to hear, and they played Uwa Tonight 11 times, and then walked off stage. <laughs> They ended it by the drummer used to do this thing, apparently, where he'd run around his drum set and pl keep playing the drums. But, you know, he's in his 50s now, and he's done what all rock musicians do, which is they get off drugs and they go, pizza, but for every meal. And so he <laughs> is this big guy, and he does one lap around the drums, and he just sits on a chair, and then his drum roadie comes out and does it for him. Oh, I, I just, because I, no one also ages better in that weird way than musicians, because they don't let the age get to them, but they should. <laughs> Have you guys seen Aerosmith recently? Like, Steven Tyler has accidentally become a 70-year-old woman. <laughs> like, they played, they played Download uh, this year. For those of you who don't know what Download is, it's a music festival here in the UK that used to be awesome, and now it's called Download. And, uh, yeah, I said it. I play Sonosphere. It's better because they had Iron Maiden. You guys had Aerosmith, and Aerosmith isn't even heavy metal. It's hard rock, and not even hard rock anymore. I've heard the song fucking jaded. It's a piece of shit. Miley Cunis can go fuck herself, and Steven Tyler needs to stop writing songs. That part's not for everyone, but the three guys that are listening to that on the internet are going, finally somebody said something. Anyway. 
But I saw Aerosmith live one time, and they are the weirdest because they were the fucking rock gods in the 70s. They had chiseled abs, and they were just greased, and just the guitar solos, and everyone would be like, Pennies! Pussy! Drugs! But now they are 65, and no one has gone, put your shirt on. Those are not pecs, those are boobies. So they walk, and Steven Tyler, he looks like a sleeping bag full of water. And he's leaned on the monitors, just like, are you ready to walk this way? And even the crowd's like, we want to be into this, but can you not? And then he went, I cannot hear you. And he actually did this. Ottawa. Oh, it was tremendous. Best, con best concert you ever saw. James Brown. You saw James Brown live? Twice. Twice. But what? How old was he? Uh, first time mid sixties. The last time late sixties. It was a month before he died. Oh, you saw him on that last tour right before he died. What was that tour like? Because I heard it was a tour that he did. Uh, for me, it was good. He, was, he did a lot of he did a lot of keyboard stuff, which yeah. He can play the keyboards. Yeah, like his old stuff on was all all keyboards, no vocals. You guys can take a nap. I'm just going to talk to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. Get yeah. the fuck out of here. Yeah. 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 Listen to that stuff. Yeah, it's really good. You collect vinyl, don't you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you put the vinyl in a frame or do you listen to the vinyl? I listen to it. All right. Who here is 25 and younger? Put up your hands. All right. Keep your hands up if you listen to vinyl. All right. Keep your hands up if you buy the vinyl for what it looks like and not for playing. Okay, good. Tell your fucking friends, and know they're out there, that they're the... I walked into Urban Outfitters because they have jeans that fit me, and I wanted to get a cup that's a stormtrooper and a poncho that says, What's up, red bro? And so... And I was like, I have 150 quid. Can I buy half a pair of jeans? I know where to go. Hello, do you have any ironic shirts that for some reason feature Yoda? Do we ever? Do you need a toque that will make you look like a sailor, but for a gay harbor? Yes, I do. I need all of those. And so I, uh, I walked in there, and they were selling frames for vinyl records. And I, in that moment, became the old man screaming for kids to get off his lawn. Like, I was just stood there, and I could see a guy looking at it, and I just sent him this big look, like, if you fucking buy that, I'm smashing it over your head. You're holding Black Sabbath's first record. Listen to that record. It was recorded in an evening. It's the only time Ozzy Osbourne sings and doesn't do what he does now, which is... <laughs> To listen to it, appreciate it. Know that they actually recorded that rain during a rainstorm in Birmingham. Know that that music would not have been created if Tony Iommi hadn't liked to drink in the afternoon and then go back to work at a meat uh, meat packing at a metal shop where he lost two of his fingers. But he didn't say, "I can't be a guitar player." He said, "Time to make fingers because I'm a man." And he made fingers, and heavy metal was created. Best concert I ever saw was Ozzy Osbourne. I saw it in Ottawa, where I was from. Play for three and a half hours. It was at the height of when Ozzy was supposed to be clean, but he was just doing pills, 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 pills. Who wants pills? Ozzy does, Ozzy does, Ozzy does. <laughs> and so, um, and he was touring with Zach Wild. Zach Wild was his like last good guitar player. The guy he has now is okay, but he's just doing kind of an impression of all his other guitar players. And Zach Wild looks like what the UK think an American looks like. like he has a beard, bandana, camo leather vest, guitar, he's got a gun for no reason. He's just drinking a beer, just like, uh, I was just using my truck to get oil to fuck, fuck brown people. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's just, 
a drawing of an American. Every guitar move is like a like a windmill, and he holds the guitar, plays it with his teeth, puts it down, kicks something, and goes yeah! Like it was just amazing. And Ozzy walked on and went, "Oh, just to let you know, we're gonna set the record for the longest concert I've ever done." And everyone went. Now, why it is the most memorable concert for me is because we had gone, in Ottawa, we have this thing, it's now called the Scotiabank Place, before it was called the Canadian Tire Center, and then it was called the Corral Center, and then it was called the Palladium, and the Palladium, they had this Harvey's, and Harvey's is like Canadian McDonald's, it's so fucking good, it's so good, so I ate a Harvey's, right, but they hadn't cooked the Harvey's burger very well, so there was a rumble in my tummy. And so the opening, and we were dead front row, like right in the strike zone of like, Ozzy's gonna puke on us, yeah. We are 19 and he is 72, I bet you he wants to hang out with us. And as much as I'm mocking Ozzy, like if Ozzy was like, uh, John, you need to take a bullet for me, I'd be like, in the face? Can it be in the face? Please let it be in the face. I will die for you, Dark Lord, I will die for you. I bought you these bats, can you bite them? I want to date one of your daughters, not because I find them attractive, I just want to date you. <laughs> and so I, uh, we're dead front row, and as he's walking on, I feel that emergency pang in the belly, that like, you got a problem. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, you need to make a decision right now. Are you going to jump this guardrail, lose your spot, find a toilet, and appreciate Crazy Train when it happens in three hours? Or are you going to stick it out? And I leaned on that guardrail and I went, Fuck it, let's do it. <laughs> and I will never forget the song Fire in the Sky, because it was a moment when my legs actually buckled under the pressure of just holding in whatever was happening. And I had to, I just kneeled down by the guardrail, and I was, I'm not sure if I believe in God, I'm very much an agnostic person, but that is one of the last moments I remember actually praying, just going, God, I don't know if you're up there, but don't let me shit my pants in front of Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> And, uh, and one of the security guards, he went to high school with us, his name was Big Country Trevor, and <laughs> his actual name, not Big Country, but Trevor, and he was seven feet tall, 350 pounds, he was a fucking massive human being. I once watched him drink 24 beers in three hours, and then he just ran a lap around a field. The Canadians, the ones we let out of the country, those are the polite Canadians, the real Canadians are like missing fingers because they were bored on a Sunday. <laughs> They all have a story that begins, ends, and in the middle, they're all drinking in a parking lot and then driving to other parking lots. It's just, it's Canada, it's just, it's like Australia with less of a crazy accent and a bit colder weather. Like, we're just fucking banana, the shit. Canada, they had to make a law in Canada that says it's illegal to hold on to the back of buses and slide on the ice. Because... For 20 years, you'd just lose like 20 people. And we finally were like, oh, we should probably make that a law because we're just going to keep doing it because it is too much fucking fun. <laughs> just insane people. And he, he was security, and he just like grabbed me by the back, and he just like lifted me up, and he went, you all right, man? You drunk? And I went, Harvey's. And he went, how much did you have? And I went, I don't know. And so then the last song came down, and the whole crowd was going that way, and I went, all right, I'm jumping the guardrail. I'm gonna run to the first toilet, bucket, or quiet corner, and I jumped, and he was like, what are you doing? I now have to stop you. 
And I was like, I got, I got to go to the toilet. I got to go to the toilet. And he was just like, okay. He goes like two lefts and a right. And I went, you got it. And I like pull through. I don't know if you've ever been in the bowels of an arena, but it all looks the same. It's this gray. It looks like like the inside of the Ministry of Love in 1984. Yeah, I'm using the obscure reference, and I'm going for an even more obscure reference to describe the obscure story. So I'm running through these halls, just like trying doors, trying doors. And then I finally go, I think it's this one. And then I just burst, and I felt the sweet breeze of outside looked and the door slammed and now I'm just in the middle of the parking lot and I'm just like, oh no. <laughs> and then I ran back around and thank God they were doing construction on the road because there was a portaloo right there and a construction worker just like leaned on his shovel because he's working for the city. So work's not his priority. <laughs> and I just ran up and I was like, man, I really got to use your, your bathroom. And he was like, whoa, what's it for? Because I got to use that in a bit. I went, I have to pee? <laughs> and he trusted me, and, I, and he went, all right. But if you take too long, I'll know what you're doing. And I just was like, it will not take long at all, my friend. <laughs> and I got in there, everything happened the way it was supposed to. And I, like, I came out of the... I've never felt like a new person in my life. Like, I felt like... I felt like a conquering emperor. You know what I mean? Like, I know what Alexander the Great felt when he stood on that hill and realized all the world was his, and he was just like, oh, what else can I do with my life now? And I, uh, and the, and the, the construction worker just looked at me and he was just like, I know what you did. And I nodded at him and I went, I know you did. And I found my friends and they were like, where, where did you go? And then I told them the whole story, and they were like, why didn't you just, why didn't you just leave and come back? And I went, metal, bro. Metal. So yeah, that was that story. I don't even remember how we started on this. Oh yeah, I went and did a wrestling podcast and felt very much part of the people there. And it was fucking amazing. Because again, it's your thing as James Brown. What's your thing, miss? Ooh, um, I have lots of things. Maybe one is um, capoeira. It's a Brazilian martial art. Capoeira Brazilian martial art? Yeah. What, 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 what? <laughs> what, what does that involve? Um, kicking chair at people. Kicking the shit out of people. Yeah. So you're just like getting what for on people who fuck with you? Yeah. That's not a thing. That more just means you're a murderer in training. <laughs> How badly have you ever been punched in the face? Not, mm, not Is this during Capoeira or do you want to share something with the group? <laughs> I've not been punched in the face, but I've had other injuries. You can't just start a story like that. I haven't been punched in the face, but let me tell you, my boobs look like two well-worn melons. I didn't say that. No, I did. I tried to make a joke. It's a comedy show. You stick to your thing, I'll stick to mine. Um, so you're into MMA, martial arts, all that sort of stuff? Do you like Ultimate Fighter? No? You don't like that? It's not pure? Have you ever met any of the Gracies? He said, no. skewing up a story so we can end the podcast. <laughs> no? Would you like to hear? I only have one MMA story. It's not even mine, but it's the best story I've ever heard. So I have a friend named Ron Jossel. You guys all have to promise that you're all going to look up Ron Jossel after the show. What else are you going to do after the show? Well, you'd also maybe want to come see my show, 945 at the Pleasance Courtyard. And let's not forget that the show, while it was free to get in, is not free to get out. So please contribute any money you have in your wallet. And by money, we mean things that fold. And by wallet, I mean the thing you have it keeps your money in it. Don't look at me weird when I ask this question, because a couple of you are going to do what you always do, which is you walk by, no money, and go, okay, and then walk away. 
And most people let that happen, but I just shake the cup at you. <laughs> and you're gonna look at me weird, and then I'm gonna go, I will shit on you. <laughs> um, so, this is my MMA story. My friend Ron Johnson, he's a stand-up comedian, and he, uh, he used to be into like ultimate fighting, but like back when it wasn't on television, when it was just like a guy's basement, you'd tape your fists and let what for happen. Kind of like if you watch like the Travelers do like fighting in car parks now. By the way, if you're ever really bored and you have access to YouTube, for a while all the traveling tribes thought YouTube was like email, so they videotaped challenges to each other about fights they were gonna have. One of them is called the Billy McDougal Callout, and this guy's going, Billy McDougal, day after Christmas, I'm going to fucking slap you harder than you slap my sister. Get fucking ready, pal. You might be in Leeds, you might be in Sheffield, but I got news for you, you're gonna be in the hospital by the time I'm done with you. And then he just looks and goes, can we send it like this? I don't know how to edit. <laughs> it's awesome. Anyway, uh, and so he was in Los Angeles trying to be a comedian, and I don't know if you guys have ever been to Los Angeles for a comic, but in the UK you have a nice system where you pay people for comedy. Similar when you guys will pay me for the comedy you've had today. Segways. And so he, uh, he found out that he'd been doing a lot of fighting, and he found out that the Gracies were the people that founded Ultimate Fighting, they pioneered Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu coming internationally. They're badass motherfuckers. He found out that you could show up on a Sunday and line up, and if you could last five minutes with Horian Gracie, who was the dad, who's like 65 at this time, I think it was Horian, I don't know his fucking name, kick you in the face, McGillicuddy Gracie, you will get $1,000. And Ron is like 300 pounds of muscle. He's a monster. And he's just like, I can do that. I will do it. So we got in line, and he's literally watching people like run up at this 65-year-old, he just goes like, and the guy just vanishes into dust. And he goes, all right, my plan is I'm going to use my weight. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run at him. I'm going to spear him and I'm just gonna sit on him for the five minutes. And then I, he told me the story and I went, so then what happened? He went, well, I run at him and then I don't remember anything. <laughs> and then I woke up 10 minutes later. And what happened is he ran at him and the guy just put, just like, he, just his brother was there and he didn't even like kick him. He just lifted his foot up gingerly like a ballerina and then like did something to his neck and Ron just went, oh no, and fell down. <laughs> And it was just in the ring, and then he just motioned to the next guy. And the next guy had to fight this old man while Ron was still knocked out in the ring. And then when Ron woke up ten minutes later, he like jumped up thinking he was still a fight and like put his dukes up. And the, the old man just pushed him to the side and went, one minute. And then just like clapped. He described it like this, where there was like a guy, a guy's face right here, and he just went... And the guy just went... And then Ron was just like, keep your money, keep your money, and got out of the ring. Well, I think there's only one true way to end this podcast, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is with a James Brown-inspired dance party. Correct? Correct, sir? Yeah. yeah, goddamn right. You guys are looking at me like, are you really going to make me do this? Oh, fuck yeah, I am. How is this going to work for an audio podcast? Hey, how about you let me worry about that, and you guys just stick to dancing? I'll make it Rick James. Don't make me listen, make you listen to Rick James. None of us are on meth right now. That's the only time to appreciate Rick James. Because all of his songs just end with partying and the morning and being, you know, weirdly into hermaphrodites, which he was, <laughs> according to a, a thing on the internet I read. All right. You're the James Brown expert. What James Brown song do we want to go with? Papa's got a brand new bag. Papa's got a brand new bag. Ladies and gentlemen, please rise. I said fucking stand up. It is time for the James Brown dance party. Let's do this. I've got a brand new bag. What the fuck? Is it not on here? Oh, yes, it is. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, do not try and walk out, sir, at the back. I saw you try. I will send an old man Gracie after you. Begin dancing now, go! You have been an audience. I've been John Asics. This has been the Anything to Be a Podcast Podcast. Thank you very much.